What's going on, everyone? We've got the first episode of the Generation Fit podcast. We're just going to be going over our story today, how we met each other, kind of the story of our company and our coaching. And also, we're going to actually be giving some value today going over the seven fatal dieting mistakes that's keeping you fat. Oh, yeah. You do guys not want to miss this one because let me tell you, most of you guys are probably doing this and you've got to stop right away. Yes, yes, definitely. So, Chris, if I know your story, but if you want to share with the audience a little bit about your story, your background, where you come from, and what your your fitness background is is as well, how you got into it. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, oh, how we met was we were at working out at a big box gym, and I was doing my train programming, and I was going for a one rep max, and I had to make sure I need to get on video, so I asked Benji over here. Uh, if he can get a video of me and I got two of the biggest dudes in the gym and made sure they had me spotted. Um, and, uh, at the time I was squatting 475 and I nailed it. But the next, you know, we bonded over that and we saw each other at the gym almost, almost, almost every day that we went in. So a little bit about me and my background. I came from a baseball background, but I was also very overweight. So I had like probably, I had Cheez-Its, Sprite for breakfast. I was weighing in at 200 pounds at probably like five, six at the time going into high school. And I had no nutritional background whatsoever. I just ate whatever I saw. So people call it the seafood diet, seafood diet. Yeah. Um, and I just was always overweight. I was massively depressed. I did not feel great in my skin. I wasn't performing my best, even though I was okay at baseball at the time. Um, I could have been way better, way faster, way stronger. And my outlet to it was strength training. Um, and just in one year, uh, being under the right mentor, I actually went down about 25 pounds of fat and I also put on about 20 pounds of muscle. That's crazy what you can do as a beginner, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. You get away with almost every little detail. It's absolutely you just absurd. pick up a weight and grow. Yeah, exactly. So it's insane what you can do and what happens within one year. But ever since then, I've been getting, getting mentored under the same coaches um, and growing along the lines. Now it's been 10 years in this my lifting career and nine years of my coaching career. So it's been a long road and a lot of experience working with many different people. And, and I can't wait to help more and more people out with this. Yeah, definitely. And guys listening at home, Chris is being modest. He was squatting a 475 PR that was like two years ago. And yeah. that was, you You weigh like nothing. And especially at the time you were even leaner. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's being modest about that. But yeah, in, in terms of uh, my background story, I started lifting, I mean, I was very young when I started lifting, but I didn't really know what I was doing. I was always a soccer player my entire life since I was three years old, basically. That was the number one sport I played. I always had the goal of being a professional soccer player. I did play semi-professionally a few years ago and stopped playing, but I actually stopped playing soccer and found fitness. That's kind of why I left. I was very depressed. I had no social life. I felt like I didn't command respect from people. I feel like that's a common theme. We kind of both had this depressive nature. And I actually started fitness for, I think a reason a lot of people do and they're not really like um, blunt about is like, I just want more people to notice me. I wanted like girls to notice me. That was the reason <laughs> why I started at first, you know, and it motivated me in the beginning. And then I just fell in love with working out, improving my body, building my body, building strength. It was just an addiction before it was hard to get into the gym. Like I would go with my dad and he would invite me to go and I'd be like, no, I'd rather play like video games. I'm going to play Call of Duty or something. And, and that's Chris's favorite game, by the way. <laughs> but um, then it became an addiction. And 
so much of an addiction to the point where I didn't know I was overtraining and I actually got sick with high fevers three times in a row, ended up in the hospital because I didn't know what was going on. And then that forced me to kind of implement science-based practices in my training. And then I met Chris mm-hmm. and that's when I kind of fell under his mentorship a few years ago now at this point. And he taught me what he had learned from his mentors. And we just found out that we shared a lot of the same visions in life and our outlook in science-based uh, practice as coaches. And we kind of just hit it off from there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's crazy how one little trip to the gym and just being there at the right time. And next thing you know, it's, this is now fast forward a few years. And now we are working together and now coaching many people under us and getting them the best results as they can. So, yeah, I totally believe like just saying hello to someone or, and having an open personality can totally change your entire life. Just saying hello, because in my case, and I mean, this was the whole gym was watching Chris do his squat, actually. But just me being like just watching and being like, yo, man, that was awesome. Uh, here's here's your video, whatever. It looked really good. Yeah, um, that turned into a long lasting friendship that's still going on today and an entire business, an entire coaching business. That's crazy. Just from that mm-hmm. one interaction. Yeah. It is absolutely absurd how one basically one interaction changed up this entire entire situation. Definitely. But, yeah. I, so in terms of our name, our podcast name or company name, it's Generation Fit. Mm-hmm. When you hear the phrase Generation Fit, you actually coined the the phrase for the company itself. What do you what do you think? What are your what is the first kind of thoughts that come to mind when you hear Generation Fit? Yeah, so Generation Fit was created and was named for the next generation coming up because currently this generation is going to be the ones that have the rounded shoulders, the tucked pelvis and the hips underneath you, uh, overweight and not moving a lot or sedentary. And we together wanted to reverse this because if we keep going down this path, it is only gonna get worse and worse. And if you guys ever watched that Disney movie Up, where everybody's sitting down in those pods and never moving and having everything ordered directly to them at the given moment. That's exactly where we're heading to. So in this case, to combat all of the easy and basic diseases and all the things that should be avoided, it all starts with just movement and nutritional habits. And that's what Generation Fit is for, is to correct those as best as we can and set the next generation lineup so they do not fall into those same categories as we do now. Yeah, you you definitely hit the nail on the head. I mean, that's kind of the same thoughts I was having when I think of it. It's like taking an entire uh, generation, entire swath of people. That's why we call it Generation Fit, right? And literally creating them fit. That's what we're doing, right? Because we do live in a generation that totally neglects fitness and health, and they're just not health conscious whatsoever. We have record obesity rates specifically in the Western world in the United States. And it's very, very bad. I've had lots of, um, I just see lots of people that are, whether they're my family, friends, loved ones, how unhealthy they were and how much of a lack and disregard they have for their physical well-being. And a lot of it does have to do with the mentality of our society today, how everything's very easy and we're overcoddled, which I absolutely hate, but also just the fact that our lifestyles are inherently not good for our physical well-being. You know, Mm -hmm. we work these nine to five jobs. We sit at desks all day hunched over and we eat whatever is convenient. Like you said, the seafood diet. Mm -hmm. I didn't get that at first and I was confused. (laughs) I was like, seafood, oh, that sounds pretty good. But 
No, actually just seafood and eating whatever's convenient. So it's definitely not healthy. It's not, it's, it's very bad because we've actually devolved from what humans are supposed to be like. We're not evolving as humans, like with all of the evolution of technology and all these other things that take place, that's great, but it's actually a net negative if humans destroy themselves in the process. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of exactly what we're doing. So it's our goal to try and turn that around and turn this generation into a fit generation instead of one that is devolving from what it means to to be human. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's what we stand for. Yep. All right. So without further ado, let's get into the seven fatal dieting mistakes that is keeping you fat and will keep you fat forever unless you adjust them. Um, number one is not eating enough protein or fiber. Uh, this was a big one for me. A lot of people hear this and maybe they think they're eating enough protein already and they probably aren't or they just have difficulty stomaching it, stomaching it and it's, it's difficult to get in. Um, in my case, I, like I said, I was a soccer player my whole life. I knew nothing about nutrition, though. Just like you at baseball, I could have been a much better player if I focused on my nutrition. Mm-hmm. I had no muscle. I was all skin and bones. And as soon as I started training, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I just went on like the bodybuilding.com forums and stuff. Yeah. And I just saw what is the professional bodybuilders doing. So they said, eat a gram of protein per pound of body weight. That's what I did. And I did get great results from it. So now we know for the average person to eat around, or at least what we recommend to our clients or people we talk to is eating 0.8 grams of protein per pound of body weight. Um, Protein is not only the macronutrient that's most associated with building muscle, but it's also so much more satiating than other macronutrients are. And your body requires so much more metabolic processes and burns more calories in order to actually just digest protein. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in a scientific standpoint, yeah, you we want the low end, want to hit 0.6 grams per pound of body weight. And Benji's absolutely right. So you want, optimally, you want to hit about 0.8. And to be safe, you go up to 1.0 times grams per body weight. That's the science way of looking at it. Uh, in terms of practicality, most people actually just don't eat enough protein. And when they relay the message back to me, like, hey, what did you eat yesterday? They would tell me like, oh, you know, English muffin for breakfast, maybe an egg, maybe one egg. Uh, to be like, oh, I had uh, whatever we had at work, which is normally like a salad and maybe a small chicken breast and then some almonds in between. And next thing you know, they have a dinner. And maybe that's where like their main meat source is. But overall, that's maybe only 60 grams of protein. And for a normal person, and especially the people that we work with, around about six, five, ten men, about 200 pounds, they need to get way more protein. So it's just being aware of how much you're currently intaking. And I guarantee you, you're probably not getting enough. Or these people that we are working with, they have not gotten enough. Um, Out of all the hundreds of people I've worked with, the first consultation, especially in person, when I was working in person more, that they would probably get on average, I would say no more than 70 grams of protein. And that's, that's not a lot. And sometimes they would be thinking they were eating a lot. Like, oh yeah, I eat my, I drink my protein shakes after I work out, all this stuff. Yeah, they drink their protein shakes, they slam right after their workout. And I look at them, I'm like, hey, you know what? It's only like 20, 25 grams. Like, I'm proud of you. Like, hey, you're getting your protein in. Like, yeah. That's definitely something to be proud of. But now let's get to that optimal range where things start to happen. And most of you, once you start tracking these things, you'll understand, wow, I do not get a lot. Like at all, like at all. So... Uh, what we kind of recommend here is that first is find that baseline of how much you're currently eating. And then at every meal that you have that you prioritize protein and fiber. So if you're eating a piece of meat or a meat substitute like tofu, we recommend eating about the palm size of your hand. So about 
here and the puck. And from there, that's approximately one serving or 20 to 25 grams of protein. So if me, if you guys are watching this, I am currently weighing in at 190 pounds. I need, I'm, need to be eating about 150 grams of protein. So basically, if I was to eat it all in meat, that I would probably need about eight of these bad boys right here. But I don't eat all meat. That is just an example. Yeah, what are the main sources of uh, meat that you actually eat to get your protein intake in? What are some of the more common uh, foods you eat for that? Yeah, uh, I love eating grass-finished uh, ground beef, uh, steak, a lot of red meats. I do eat poultry and all that, and fish as well. So wild-caught salmon, cod. Uh, I'm not too particular with any other ones as long as they're wild-caught. And poultry-wise, I just make sure they're, as best as I can, get them to where they are free-range and they... Not necessarily organic, but if I go that route, I go that route. But drumsticks are my favorite on that end. Um, and in terms of fiber, by all means, go to town on fiber because most most of people people don't get enough fiber. Uh, think of all your vegetables, your fruits. Most people just don't get that at all. They usually go out for takeout. They make their own foods or put in the oven and boom, done. Or they make, get pre-made foods already at the, at the store. So... The chance of you getting enough fiber is very slim, unless you're taking in like fiber one bars like every other hour, which is what actually what I used to do too. And I not, did not do well for my stomach. I do not recommend that. Yeah, no, it's not fun. Like I, as an example, I still use like psyllium husk powder in my morning shakes and I don't recommend just relying on psyllium husk powder, get your fruits and vegetables in. But even that, it, it makes me crap my brains out. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's horrible, like instantly. But, um, <laughs> the, um, Fiber, definitely recommend. It's it's game changing. It's when I started focusing on my nutrition, I was just focusing on all oh, the distri distribution between carbs, protein, fat, never really looked at fiber as anything important. And then I was like, hey, I'm still I'm still pretty hungry all the time. What's going on? Uh, I think I was probably talking to you when I first started learning all of this. Yeah. And you were like, well, how's your fiber intake? And I was like, uh, what? <laughs> so I started to definitely incorporate like three to four cups of fruits and veggies a day as a minimum. And I do do the psyllium husk powder, but that's kind of a last resort type of thing, similar to like that of a protein shake. And um, so it's just a tool. But uh, in terms of getting more vegetables in, because I do love fruit, but vegetables is this is my weak point because I absolutely deplore vegetables. I do not like them. I'm one of those people where your parents tried to feed them when you're younger and you just hide. And Chris gave me a little secret and there are a few caveats to this and Chris will go over it. But mm -hmm. basically you take high quality orange juice, like somewhere between six and eight ounces. And you put a cup or two of vegetables in there. So I was doing frozen spinach and kale and it sounds absolutely gross, but it just tastes like orange juice. It's, yeah. it's magical and it's a great way to get your fiber in and it's a great diet hack. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, this is also was created by Stan Efferding. He's the one that obviously gave this out and I follow this because I, at this point, you have to eat so much that I rather would just take in all these vegetables, but to also put an example, by the way, uh, to actually eat that in a salad. Most people eat salads and they're probably no more than a you know decent sized bowl, but that's probably no more than about 100 grams of whatever leafy greens are in there. And, and it, for example, even each one of these shakes that we do together, uh, for one person, we do like eight to 12 ounces of OJ, like you said, and then I personally put in about two to two to three hundred grams of leafy greens, so that's about three salads in one shake. So that's wild. <laughs> so think to yourself, like the people who actually eat it, like oh my god, like eating salads better. It's like whoa, whoa, whoa. The sheer amount of actual greens you would have to eat to get all that fiber in is a lot. So that's why I, in my case, would rather blend it. But this is just 
a fail-safe way to get it in. So it's not like the end-all be-all is a cool trick to do, especially if you're like, hey, I really don't like my vegetables and there's no other way I'm going to eat them. By all means, yes. Orange juice, spinach, leafy greens of your choice. And then I like to throw in berries. I love a cup of berries. And also that adds in the fiber antioxidant profile of the drink. But yeah, the caveats, like hopefully that your insulin levels are okay. So just please, if you have uh, high blood sugars or you're insulin resistant to that, this is probably not the best idea for you. And you probably should be eating just leafy greens on your own. Yes. All right. So uh, <laughs> as you can see, Chris and I are great at timing things. We went on and on about protein and fiber. Um, next, we're going to go to the um, underestimation of calories. Jeez. Yeah. So lots of people, uh, lots of people we trained or we've spoken to, close friends. Um, and even for us, it's, it's difficult in certain scenarios because we live in a society where takeout is kind of the norm or you just, like I said before, eat whatever's convenient. Mm-hmm. And we've talked to people and you know, we, we tend to track their calories for the first few weeks to get a baseline of what that's doing to their body composition and their weight on the scale. And we say, Hey, uh, do you like how much did you, do you know how much you eat on average per day? Or what did you have yesterday? Do you know? And they're like, I have, I have no clue. Like I had Chinese food. I, I don't know how much that is. And it's pretty difficult to know how much that is because like Chris used the example before, like a serving of protein, like the palm of your hand and you have all these tricks that works much better for whole foods. But when you have all of these hidden calories in the form of all these different types of oils, it's very difficult to know how many calories precisely you're taking in. Yeah. So especially for, so one is people underestimate even if they have have or prepare their own foods. So I'm sure many of you, I come from a Chinese Taiwanese background that uh, most of our dishes are cooked with a lot of oil and a lot of clients of mine, a lot of, especially of other cultures, they'll, their families will also put in a lot of oil in the pan and they don't realize like every tablespoon is 140 calories into the dish itself, approximately. So imagine if you're going to coat the entire pan and have a layer of oil in there to cook your food. That is a lot of extra calories. Now take that same principle and go out to your favorite restaurant. So I love Thai food. I, love, I mean, I love all food to be honest. But imagine like, <laughs> but imagine like you go out and especially, especially Thai food. Like you get like the, the drunken noodles. I love that stuff. But man, it is drenched in oil, and everybody thinks that oh, they put it on my fitness pal or whatever tracking app they have, and they look it up. It's like oh, let's say it's about six hundred calories. It's like man, it's only six hundred calories in oil. Even even forgot, <laughs> you even add, you even add the noodles yet. So imagine you think to yourself, oh, I only had six hundred calories, but real, realistically, these guys in the back are make, trying to make it taste good. They don't care. They don't care how many calories are in there. They don't even know how many calories are in yeah, there. They don't, yeah, they, they, they don't care. The whole point is that they want to make it taste good, so you keep coming back to buy it. And then by all means, so that's why we would go to that restaurant. But <laughs> Imagine that. That's just one example. That's just Thai restaurants. I can't imagine, like, for example, like, I love Indian food. So, they imagine going to get curry uh, or any of those foods. And then you go to Chinese food and they drench everything or they coat everything. So, imagine all that. You're probably overest- or uh, underestimating by hundreds, if not a thousand calories on average of the meals that you're eating. Yeah. You um, you say you love Indian food. You're talking about, like, more uh, Asian foods. I do horrible this with spicy foods. I'm trying to expand my horizon. But I'm just like that. A uh, typical white person that just can't stomach any uh, spicy food whatsoever. Like I'll go to Buffalo Wild Wings and have the base sauce and I'll be like, oh, like I'll be crying. <laughs> and other people will just be like, are you serious? <laughs> but um, you're definitely right. There's like when people say that kind of cliche term, hitting calories, this is pretty much precisely what we're talking about. It's these, these, uh, all these different oils or things that and additives that are put into food typically when 
like Chris gave a great example of Thai food, Indian food are, are really good examples. And I mean, I even, even people who take fitness very seriously like us can fall victim to that too. But that's why we recommend to give your best attempt to ask for the sauce on the side. And then you can kind of pace yourself in terms of how much you want to put on and you just have a better idea of what you're eating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and just, and just a small tidbit, uh, we still underestimate calories. So even as coaches, even been tracking for years that it still happens to us. Now, the, the best thing that we can do is just that be just be try to be more aware of it, which is a great, great next step because it's going to lead into the next the next one. But just being aware of what you're actually doing um, will ultimately lead you to understand how many calories or at least a better ballpark than the ones that you're currently having, because even as coaches, we're still probably all five or 10 percent. If we're not tracking to the absolute number and weighing our foods and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Like you segued, it was perfect segue right into tip number three. And that's lack of nutritional awareness of, we've had so many people where, like I mentioned before, we track their baseline of how many calories they're eating to get a good feel for what their current diet situation is, how they got to the situation and usually a mess that they're in. Mm-hmm. And um, we'll, we'll track calories and we'll be like, how how are you the body fat that you are like we will be confused and then as we pro people more they're like oh yeah i had an entire bag of potato chips <laughs> and i was like well, why didn't you track that right so there sometimes people track an extra or forget to track an extra 800 to 1000 calories per day as you guys can probably figure out it's not rocket science that adds up and um that's definitely a very easy fix you can guys make is just the simple fact of being aware of your eating being aware of snacking which is a big issue that we bring up a lot mm-hmm. yeah uh the biggest ones are definitely snacking uh i cannot imagine how many people have come up to me and said oh i hit my calories for the day chris and i'd be like cool so like i'm be like hey did you have any food in between They're like oh you know i had a few uh almonds or nuts or you know this little cliff bar but that's nothing that's nothing and i'd be like okay so it's <laughs> so, all right so let's just add it up how many almonds did you have and they'd be like two I'll be like, oh, two? Like, nobody just eats two. Like, they'll be like, no, two full handfuls. And I'm like, oh, that's about plus 600 calories just in those two handfuls. <laughs> so imagine if you're net, so to lose a pound a week every day, let's just say in this hypothetical case, is about minus 500 per day for a whole week. And you just had 600 calories in almonds, which you did not account for, right? So just being aware and being present of the food that you're eating is absolutely, absolutely paramount to your success with losing fat. Because that means you at least know what's going on, what's in front of you, that you are aware of something that is going on. Whereas most people just kind of blindly eat and go nowhere with it. And next thing you know, they come back and go, oh, it's not my fault. Or I don't know what the hell is going on. But realistically, they're doing it. (laughs) Maybe they're just blindsided by it because it's in their hindsight that they forgot or it's just there. It's convenient. But it did happen. So you can't cheat bioenergetics. And metabolism. You can't, you can't. You can't cheat science, folks. Science. Yeah. And uh, Chris talked about something that spurred kind of a thought in my mind was you were talking about uh, two handful of almonds, like people accidentally will eat 600 calories more. And a lot of people, this is kind of like a, a mini mistake people make that adds into our list of seven. It's that a lot of people eat foods that they are that are conventionally considered to be a good or healthy food right and i think we could agree that almonds are a great source of fat and also protein as well and um i eat them and lots of other people might 
eat something like almonds or other sources of healthy food and think, oh, this is healthy. So I can just eat more of it or splurge on it. And that's couldn't really be further from the case. Obviously, we recommend strategies like eating more whole foods, conventionally healthy foods. And we'll touch on that more later and in other episodes as well. But really, the, the studies do show. I know there was this one scientist. I can't remember like the name of the study or the guy who did it, but his diet primarily for five, six weeks consisted of predominantly like Oreos and Twinkies and all this different candy, mm-hmm. but it was such a small amount of it that he did lose weight, a lot of weight, like somewhere like 25 pounds over the course of those five or six weeks. And we definitely don't recommend doing that. Don't do that. Um, you, you'll thank me later if you don't do that, please. But um, it just goes to show that it really is a simple equation of equation of total calories in and total calories out. And a lot of people um, fail at just understanding that one point. So that's kind of the base. And then you have to avoid all the other mistakes we're talking about now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the next one is yo-yo dieting. And a lot of clients that have come up to us or that we currently work with have gotten results and fall back to where they just were months after they gotten to where they wanted to. And the reason why is yo-yo dieting is this perpetual state of going back and forth, up and down of losing weight, gaining it back, if not more, then doing it again, then going back up. And all this does is absolutely wrecks your psyche, one, your psycho, just the, just the whole psychology of, oh, I'm gonna lose X amount of weight this fast, gain it all back. And two is your relationship with food. And it's now more so of a all in, all out, all in kind of diet. And we'll go touch that a little bit more. But overall, just yo-yo dieting is just a lack of baseline and foundations of nutritional principles that you need to set for yourself. And setting these principles by yourself automatically has you in this point of, okay, that you will have this natural ebb and flow, but it will not be peaks and valleys all the time, especially when you're going up 20 pounds, then losing 20 pounds and gaining 20 and losing 25 pounds and then gaining 25 pounds. It's just a cycle that we must end right away. And that just starts with using these principles that we were talking about. And once you stop it, that's where you start to kind of stabilize your weights and become more foundationally sound with your training and nutrition principles. Yep. Yeah. I'm sure you guys have heard, and it's maybe a coaching cliche at this point, but it is very true that 95% of dieters gain the weight that they lost all back and sometimes, and even then some more. And a lot of this isn't your genetics or your age or all these things you successfully lost the weight it's actually that you decided to do things in terms of how you dieted how you exercised that actually destroyed your metabolism you accidentally did it to yourself because of the many lies and misinformation of the fitness industry and one of those biggest things is yo-yo dieting that destroys your metabolism um i've had so many people that i mean they come to both of us and they're eating 1200 calories a day. They weigh 250 pounds and they, they can't lose weight. And I know that's a dramatized example, but there are people that truly do exist like that, that totally crash diet and they go up and down, up and down in weight. And it's at a point where their metabolism is so messed up that they can't lose um, weight or fat rather off of like little to no calories. And to keep losing weight, what do they have to do? You, well, then they have to keep restricting calories more, restricting calories more to the point where they're literally eating nothing. They're completely unhealthy. And then, okay, if you weigh 250 pounds, you're eating 1200 calories and you restrict it to 600, where are you going to go from there? You're eventually just not going to be eating any food and your body's going to kind of go into survival and trying to hold on to it all anyway. So it's definitely not a good strategy. Avoid yo-yo dieting at all costs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So going 
to number five, right, is being too strict with your diet. And this includes eliminating food groups. And it ties right into the last point we just had. Uh, a lot of this is because of you heard your friend Sally or this bodybuilder XYZ. And they said they follow this exact diet where they ate chicken, rice, broccoli for four meals a day at certain times. And next thing you know, you've eliminated 99% of all other foods. And all you can think about outside of those meals is, man, how much I want to eat those foods. And that's the problem with this. The all-in mentality automatically sets you up for failure because it doesn't have you understand why things work. They just work because somebody else told them that you're, it's going to work. That is a massive flaw in that system. What we do is we make sure that we implement slow incremental changes. And in those changes, make long lasting returns. Because if you just keep going on and on with this very strict diet, eventually you will crash and burn. And I'm telling you right now, I've only had probably 1% of my clients out of hundreds, if not a thousand at this point, that can actually do an all-in diet and maintain that for the rest for the rest of their life and maintain a healthy body weight and a good relationship with food. But otherwise, trust me, small incremental changes will be your best bet. Yeah. And, and keep in mind that 1%, they probably actually just enjoy that diet. I mean, I know at points, Chris has been yeah. almost too strict by our own standards in dieting, but he actually just enjoys eating those foods. Yeah. And um, I've been the same way at certain points also. It's um, very rare. And then you have that true 1% that doesn't enjoy it. And they're probably bodybuilders. You're not looking to be a bodybuilder. You're looking to be healthy, be a part of the fit generation we're trying to create. That is the main goal here. And Something we recommend as well is following something we call the, and I mean, we didn't coin this term, but the 80-20 rule, which is eating essentially 80% of your diet being comprised of whole foods or minimally processed foods that have like one, maybe two ingredients in it. And the other 20% of your diet, as long as it falls within your daily allotment of calories and macronutrients and whatnot, whatever your goals are, anything you want literally anything you want, basically, as long as it's not like poison that you're like pouring down your throat, like a bottle of poison, anything you want. It's, it's really eye opening. It's amazing. You could kind of use different variations. Like I'm probably closer to like a 75, 25 rule. It doesn't have to be perfect, but I absolutely love it because a lot of, and I'm sure this will resonate with you guys listening, but a lot, a lot of people, when I start training them and going over the nutritional part of things, they get afraid and almost defensive right away because they think they're not going to be able to eat their favorite foods. I had this one lady who really just loved eating like dark chocolate bars and the dark chocolate bars she ate were like 250 calories every day. And she thought she had to eliminate them. And she's like, I can't, I'm having trouble adhering to my diet. And I said, eat that. And she was shocked. She was like, no trainers ever told me that before. I, that it seems ridiculous, but it's absolutely true because um, I mean, Chris referenced Dan Efferding before. I'm going to reference him again. He said the best diet for you is the diet that you could adhere to. doesn't matter how great your diet is on paper. What matters is you could adhere to it because if you have that perfect diet of chicken, rice, and broccoli, supposedly that perfect diet, you're not going to be able to adhere to it. You're going to start splurging and eating whatever you want again. You're going to gain all the weight back. So how perfect was it if you weren't able to adhere to it? And, uh, and another thing that actually eating too strict does to you is it kind of ruins your digestive system, your digestive system's ability to actually digest foods that you haven't been eating for a very long time. There's lots of funny stories of whether it's bodybuilders or people who just eat very strictly that um, 
ate this supposedly perfect diet of chicken, rice, and broccoli, and then they had, like, one piece of candy or one type of food that they didn't eat before, and they're just in the bathroom for days, days on end. That's um, me. Yeah, yeah, that's Chris right there. But, no, he, I mean, you have had an experience, so, like, somewhat paralleling that, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, so just for context, I do eat fairly clean. I'm talking, like, when we're talking about 95% of the time, and it's not because – I want to do this for the rest of my life, but right now it's just that that's my lifestyle. And in just in this context that when you do eat super clean, that's great. Like you're going to feel amazing. And I'm not, I, by all means, try to do as best as you can, but your digestive system also adapts. So all the things that are inherently quote unquote bad, they're not necessarily bad. Yes. They just are probably, you know, higher in calories. They probably have other additives that you probably shouldn't be intaking or not the greatest for you. But guess what? Your digestive your digestive system is strong. It can digest it. And it's, and it's just something where if you don't have it very often, guess what? You'll be in the bathroom for about 20 minutes trying to get it out. So I am a big, big, I fall prey to this all the time, especially when I get super clean. And trust me, if I get out of my ground beef, chicken, salmon, and my rice, my pastas, and my vegetables, and I do that for about three months, and then I eat like, let's say I go out to eat and have like one serving of wings, I'm on the toilet for about 30 minutes. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, <laughs> have a balance. Have a balance is what it comes down to. Yeah, that's the, the bottom line of what we're all trying to say here. <laughs> um, all right, so let's... Uh, seamlessly which not at all segue into the next uh dieting tip which is focusing on the scale too much i think that's way too common and chris and i uh, we do recommend our clients at least for a certain point when it comes to the beginning stage of establishing a baseline of what their caloric intake is and what that is doing to their body composition we do recommend them to weigh themselves but what lots of people do is they have this negative um, psychological association with the scale and they kind of predicate everything they do um, each day based on what they weighed in the morning, you know, and it creates a very bad relationship with food, with fitness, with your health, and it actually makes you be much more unhealthy. It's actually the cause of why so many people or at least related to so many uh, mental health uh, slash like body disorders, like body dysmorphia, bulimia, anorexia, all these different things. And a lot of it comes down to the failure to be able to distinguish between the relationship between fat, muscle, and weight. I've weighed 170 pounds and looked a little fatter than I wanted to. And I've also weighed 170 pounds and looked maybe even leaner than I should have been. So how is that possible? It's because at one point I had more muscle on my frame. And at another point, I had less muscle on my frame and more fat. So when you're looking at the scale, there's going to be some people that are 180 pounds and are clinically obese. And then there's going to be other people that are the same height at 180 pounds that are shredded to the bone and should probably add a little fat to their body. So it's a very um, important topic to discuss because a lot of people kind of fall into this fatal mistake. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So so scientifically, there's so many things that happen to the weight, right? And mm -hmm. you have all the things that happen with the weight. And on top of the day, the time of day that you weigh yourself in so let's talk the science portion weight itself you have obviously all everything included in your body but the, especially the ones that manipulate the most are your water intake your sodium intake uh your sleep and how bloated you are yeah. so and even if you have more carbs as well it's going to soak up more water so lots yeah. in the equation yeah and then the more carbs that you have the more water that you hold so at the end of the day which is okay, by the way. Yeah, it's absolutely okay. So that's why we, when we do it, it's a data point. 
But understand that uh, I'll use me as an example because I track my weight every day. I use it as a data point that if I, for example, weighed in last night at one or yesterday at 190 and I had sushi that dinner beforehand, just a normal serving size of sushi. The next day I wake up about three pounds heavier. Why? Because soy sauce, rice, and then obviously uh, sushi rice has, they put a little dab of sugar in there to stick it together. And I'm up three pounds. Did I gain three pounds of fat? No. I just most likely just holding on to extra water because of the extra sodium and all the water, extra water I had to drink because I felt thirsty eating saltier foods. Mm -hmm. So just understand that your weight can fluctuate so much. And in this case, most people will be fluctuating around net negative, positive, anywhere between two and a half to five pounds each way. And that is completely okay. So that's why when people, when we have our clients look at our, their weights, I tell them not to think of it as an absolute distress, but think of it as an objective data point. And we take the weekly averages. Yeah. Okay. So, and obviously there will be outliers just like any data point. So if we know that you had sushi or you went out to eat pizza or you ate something that's very salty the night before and you weighed in an extra three or four pounds, guess what? We can move, remove that data point, but understand that. It doesn't mean you have four more pounds of fat. Yeah, you don't <laughs> have four more pounds of fat. So we, that's why we always take the average of the data points. So that is a big yeah. point that we have to make. Yeah, exactly. If you if you want to be fair with yourself and to not cheat yourself psychologically, it would be to take the weekly average of what you're weighing and to weigh yourself consistently at the same time, basically, like right after you wake up in the morning, after you piss and shit and before you eat or drink anything, basically, because that's going to be as honest a of a result on the scale as you could possibly get. And then on top of that, you take the weekly average of doing that as many days as you would do it during the week, whether it's three, four, or in the case of if you're just starting off and want to do it every single day. Mm -hmm. um, and another kind of fitness cliche, but it's, it is very true is it's not about the weight on the scale as much it is as it is what it looks like in the mirror. Right. So if you, like I alluded to before, there's certain people that would be the same height and the same weight and they look at the scale and maybe uh, the person who's shredded to the bone says, oh, 180 pounds on the scale, that that's good, right? But the other person that weighs 180 pounds that's clinically obese shouldn't be looking at the scale and saying, oh, that's good. What's important is looking at the mirror and then that will allow you to be a little more honest with yourself as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a different, this massively different context for a person that, like I currently weigh 190. Uh, you may watch, be watching this video and be like, Chris, you don't look like you weigh 190, but that just means that I'm just a little bit more denser than the people that are probably 190 pounds. Um, but the biggest takeaway of, of this point is realistically, don't try to eat your way up and down based on the the, the uh, weight on the scale. What you should do instead as a practical point would be to eat less or more depending if you had less or more the day before. So for example is if I went out to a birthday party, had extra food and food I don't normally eat, that's very high in calories like pizza, wings, beer, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, maybe the next day that I eat a little bit less, but don't use the weight on the scale as a as the point. Use it as, use the day before and the awareness of what you ate the day before as the kind of the point. And then the next day just kind of regulate it better so you're eating maybe a little bit less that day, but not restricting too much. But yes, that's what I was trying to get that at this yeah, point. No, absolutely right. And uh, that brings us to our last tip out of seven, which is the idea that you could out-exercise a bad diet. I'm sure you guys have heard that before. And I guess it's a very controversial, for some reason, controversial um, idea. And in a, 
in a way, I want to say, and I'm get back to why I'm saying this. It's true because in order for it to be true, you would have to be a superhuman athlete that trains three hours a day, all cardio. Like when I played soccer, I would burn 1,200 calories a day. That's not what you guys want to do. You guys don't, no one wants to do that. And even then it's unsustainable. So really for the average person, you cannot out exercise a bad diet because it really comes, what it comes down to is a simple mathematical scientific equation. Yeah. Uh, this one's one of the funnier ones because imagine you went to go run a mile and a half and you only burned hundred calories. Now, how easy is it for you to actually eat 100 calories? That is not even 10 fries. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So th think, about, think about that for yourself in relation to calories. That's why we never tell people to out-exercise a bad diet. What we do is we have people understand what their metabolism is meant to do, right? And understand that there is burning a certain amount of calories and they're prioritizing proteins and fats. Now, if we put it in the context where we are trying to outrun or out exercise a diet, you are never going to win because the best way to burn calories during exercise is cardio. And guess what? We actually don't even recommend that much cardio besides a lot of walking or very, very low intensity, steady state cardio, like a light jog or a light elliptical. But just in context, doing all of that, you have to spend hours. Now I mean hours. So let's say you went out with, you went out with your best friends and you went to go have four beers and a pizza or wings. Besides, keep saying that because I love pizza and wings. There's <laughs> a common theme here. Yeah, yeah, yeah very common theme. It's, super, it's, it's Sunday. It's football Sunday. Uh, so let's just say you went over by 1,000 calories. So your maintenance is 2,000. You had 3,000 calories that day. That means the next day you have to make sure that you out-exercise those calories to make sure that they offset. Well, here's the problem with that. You're going to try to out-exercise 1,000 calories you know how much you got to do to do 1,000 calories worth, worth of exercise? Yeah, and even then you might not out-exercise it. That's the point is like, because Chris said, you know how much you need to do to actually out-exercise 1,000 calories? And I do, and that's because I had to when I was at a, a top-level soccer player. It's a lot, a lot of work. It's six or seven days a week of running for two hours straight. I don't think any of you guys want to do that. I don't think you guys have the time to do that. A much better alternative is to focus on actually having a good – diet that's healthy that you enjoy that's adherable and also building muscle in the gym because that's actually going to boost your metabolism at rest as well so i think really the right answer is focus on your exercise and health and focus on a enjoyable healthy diet i think that's very simple and for some reason it's this whole controversial topic that people go on these long tangents about and debate and we're here to say that it's pretty simple mm -hmm. yeah we try to keep it as simple as possible and without overcomplicating it and realizing that these are the base principles of what we teach our clients. And when we coach, we make sure that we take small steps at a time. But we want to make sure that this is all absorbable to you guys, that you guys can take this right now while listening to us and then implement this when you go home or especially if you're driving or listening to it at work, that you can at least think about what you can change that are simple, easy, and effective to make it better, make your fat loss journey easier and better. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that concludes the seven points. And Chris and I have no clue how to not abruptly end a podcast. It is our first one. But thank you for listening, guys. We're going to be coming out with about two of these per week, trying to be as consistent as possible, give as much information and value to make a generation more fit. Yeah, absolutely. So all you gem fitters, this is episode number one. And we'll look back at this as uh, in the archives and we'll see how bad this was in comparison to the other one.